0: If you could impact a billion people's lives in the next five years, what would you do? And it it stunned me. I had never let myself consider that depth of a question before. And almost immediately it came to me, well, we'll just solve this issue of mercury. We'll we'll find a way because obviously we have the technology to do virtually anything and we have the funding. It's amazing funds that are flowing now. And what we need really is just the will. So I said, I'm, I'm doing that. And I took that on and, and started Mercury Free Mining in 2017. I went public, went through the, the HeroX platform that also is a part of, uh, I think, the XPRIZE Foundation's uh, kind of a branch of that and announced that we mercury free mining was going to raise a million dollar prize to fund the most effective technology that could be discovered and we launched into that it was like i don't know where to go from here i've been a bench jeweler but there's something that can happen just out of one's commitment one's vision one's and and just sharing that possibility
1: You're listening to Catalyst Talks, conversations with change agents, outliers, superheroes, and truly conscious leaders modeling what it is to be an unstoppable force for good and truth in this world. What lit these catalysts on fire to do their work and what nuggets of wisdom can they share with a world literally on fire? I'm your host, Stephanie Traeger. I'm a transformational catalyst and life coach to Maverick change agents in business leadership and life. On this podcast, I wear an eclectic mix of hats, including Earthkeeper, wayfinder, truth teller, coach, lawyer, business and impact strategist. My intention is holding space for higher purpose, peak wellness, soul mastery, and deeper impact so we can live in harmony with ourselves, each other, and nature. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. If you love it, please share and spread the word. We're on YouTube and all the podcast platforms. See the show notes on CatalystTalks.com for links and enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Catalyst Talks. Toby, it's great to have you here. Thank you for joining us today.
0: You are so welcome. It's my my pleasure, my honor, my delight. Thank you, Steph. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. So, Toby, you're a designer, a goldsmith for over fifty years, right? And in 2017, you founded Mercury Free Mining to support small scale artisanal gold miners to create healthy lives and livelihoods without the use of toxic mercury. And it's really an honor to be with you because your your tenacity, your passion, you inspire me. And I know we're gonna inspire all listeners and that's just my dog shaking off because he's like, yeah, I'm ready to." <laughs> so my goal with this podcast and with, with sharing people like you with our audience is to inspire others to catalyze change and at scale, just like you're doing. So I had the immense gift to support you and our work together early in the early stages of mercury mining. And yeah, it's just been really mind blowing to witness how far you've taken this journey and how many like far reaching tentacles just this one mission is actually helping to solve. So let's start with a little bit of backstory. So over our time together, people are going to get to know who you are, what problem you're solving, and how you came to do it. So tell us a little bit about gold mining in general, mercury. Imagine somebody knows nothing about mercury and mining.
0: Perfect. Really great, Stephanie. So yeah, back in 2004, I ran across a website called No Dirty Gold. And it was shocking to me. I mean, I kind of on some level knew that mining is not the cleanest activity, but being a jeweler goldsmith, it was easy to kind of slough it off. It was like, okay, that's not the best, but, you know, there's problems everywhere in the world. But then it occurred to me when I really got into it on this website and found out how nasty it was, the amount of mercury pollution, the amount of overburden, tons and tons, hundreds of tons of rock and dirt are moved every every time to get an ounce of gold. It is, uh, its It was shocking. And I said, I, I can't make jewelry. I cannot continue to make jewelry. If, in fact, unless I could make some sort of significant difference in the impact of mining practices, unless I could be a contribution at the same time I was using these metals and gems, then I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had a a realization one morning, fly fishing in a coastal stream that it just, uh, I I live in Oregon and it's uh, just, it's beautiful and I'm surrounded by incredible nature and, uh, and, it's it was i i can't do this
1: yeah i feel you i mean how many times people have that feeling and just either like you said swipe it under the carpet or just stop and move on to the next thing right but you decided to do something about it
0: yes i i uh, approached our refiner who we were buying our gold from and and Hoover and Strong in Richmond Virginia and said you know would you keep for me separate Gold that has been reprocessed, so recycled gold reclaimed. Can you uh, sell that to me, purified as non environmentally uh, impacted impacting gold at this point? And uh, they said, "Sure, we'll do that. We'll be happy to do that." And so we launched this matter of eco gold, and eco gold became it. Really was a hit immediately. I, our a number of publications actually. 13 consumer facing press articles came out on eco gold as distinct from newly mined gold. And it was it made a tremendous difference in our business. And I think it raised awareness in the world that we were recycling gold and and really pointing that out and yet i knew immediately that there that wasn't the answer recycling doesn't really solve the problem because the mining continues just the way it is so i started looking for how do i find the best gold in the world that we can use that we can highlight that we can encourage tell their story so i began uh, working with a mine in the yukon who was doing an exquisite job they were mining gold as responsibly as it could be done in such a way that the provincial government the first nations everyone was saying this is amazing we love this and they uh, were stripping away this, the the overburden getting down to the gold layer processing it putting everything back And things were growing. Animals were coming back. It was just an incredible system, but they couldn't continue it. Uh, They they went bankrupt in 2008. And so we lost that avenue. But uh, so I kept looking and I heard about a mine in Colombia, a community that was mining really responsibly. So I ordered their gold, bought it and started telling that story. Shortly thereafter, traveled to Colombia and visited this community which was exquisite, and and they were using traditional methods. They're African, Afro-Columbian uh, descendants of the conquistadors, mm-hmm. and they would mine so carefully, caring about their land. As they removed the rocks and the soil, they would sequester it. They would use the rocks to build terraces. So every area that they mined, they would terrace that and backfill it with the soil that was the, the tailings from their mining and would grow crops on that land. Three years would have a full banana plantation and wow. just really inspiring to see. During this time, I was invited to join the board of directors of the Alliance for Responsible Mining in based in Colombia, And I've served on that board for now 11 years and during this time became really deeply uh, appreciative and committed to the the quality of life of the miners who are at the very bottom of the food chain and, and basically they are the people who for lack of other means have to dig in the earth and get gold out by whatever means they can and it's so often a backbreaking dangerous and and toxic relationship with their work, because in order to be uh, relatively efficient, they have to use mercury. Mercury is a way that they can capture more of the gold than they would be able to without it, but it's still less than 50% efficient. But by taking the concentrates that they can aggregate, that is a heavy mineral they add mercury to that rub it together work it all into that
1: with their bare hands
0: with their bare hands they oh. i mean there's there's just really no awareness of protective devices yeah it, it is for them it's a way to eat and they often need to sell their gold every day in order to eat and survive and put clothes on their kids and so they work this mercury into the gold, which forms and then an amalgam gold and and mercury have this great attraction to each other. It's a physical bond. And they uh, so everything else gets washed away. But the gold and the mercury form a kind of a putty like amalgam that in order to separate the mercury, they heat it to evaporate the mercury from the gold leaving behind this sponge of gold um, kind of really porous as the mercury has evaporated. But then that mercury goes into the atmosphere, the water supply, their clothes, their food, their communities. It is an increasing problem in the world as more and more people turn to gold mining and they don't have the means to bring in this infrastructure of technology and other safer means of mining. So it's, uh, it's just really a, a tragedy that about 20 million people in the world have to use mercury. Wow. All around the world. And basically the global south, gold exists around the world, but in many other cases, they have enough infrastructure that they don't need to use mercury. But for these 20 million people, They do. And 100 million people depend on them. And in that process, inadvertently, they release 12,000 pounds of toxic mercury into the environment every day. And it is nearly permanent. I mean, it can last for decades or centuries. You still can't eat fish from the Bay, the the region of California where the gold rush was. It's just such a long lasting neurotoxin that mm-hmm. there must be a better way.
1: Are they aware, are the miners aware that the mercury is poisoning their water? Their fish are dying there. What's happening in their communities?
0: They, they are, I would say for the most part, many aren't. And in many cases, they turn a blind eye to, hey, there's just nothing else they can do. So they use it because that is their means of living. And so even though, they're, they're peripherally aware and some of them will take some precautionary measures, but it's slow and it's really difficult to define what is mercury poisoning and what isn't. So it can affect people any way neurologically. And it is the the people most susceptible are developing neurological systems, embryos and children and mothers who are Uh, potential for giving birth or carrying a child, they are the ones that are the most susceptible, these developing nervous systems. And so the, the results often don't show up in a way that is like you can't earmark it and say that's mercury poisoning. I mean, it can show up in terms of slurred speech, problematic memory, low IQ, balance all sorts of internal kidneys, brain functions, it's, it's uh, lungs. It's, it impacts virtually everything in our systems, in any system neurologically. So it's a, a nasty toxin that uh, we've felt like, I mean, it, it's just occurred to me that there must be better ways that we don't have to tolerate them having to make a living using this toxin.
1: Yeah, so you you know it's so interesting. I've had a lot of people, a lot of guests on the show where they're approaching something that touches the issue of mer- of mercury mining. I have had uh, Paul Rosalie of Jungle Keepers, who is always confronting illegal mining and mercury poisoning in the Amazon basin in Peru, and I've had just so many people who are working on climate, environment, water, all the different issues, right? Plastic and you've double clicked and gone so deep into okay this and and so I, it's really awesome to hear because i don't know that everybody really understands you know we might wear gold where did it come from and it's always that question of who had to move or die so we could have this you know and and i want to hear for you after you were inspired and you're like sort of, okay i need to find a solution what were the steps that you took what take us back to that beginning where you're like okay i have to do something more
0: Great. Yeah. So so I had the immense privilege of living for five years when I was between six and eleven years old in the foothills of the Himalayas in North India. And it was an amazing environment to be a, a boy. You know, it was like monkeys and tigers and panthers and wow. beetles and and incredible butterflies. And it was just uh phenomenal. And that appreciation, that being moved by the incredible world that we live in, the people, the Garwali people who live in that region were are animists and they celebrate life and they, they relate to kind of fairies. And it's just like, they love their nature, their world, and as poor as can be, you know, as poor as you'll ever mm-hmm. encounter, but generous of spirit. So appreciative and friendly and, and happy and dancing. And, you know, it's like, (laughs) it was like, when I came back to the U S at 11 years old, I was shocked and I did not want to stay. Mm. Uh, my, My parents were medical missionaries and my, we were going to go back. My dad took another position as a physician and we never returned until some years later when I took my family back. But the contrast I guess it occurred for me, like this is the way life can be and and should Mm -hmm. be in many ways. Happy, free, generous, playful, beautiful, diverse. So making jewelry and the realization that the way we're doing it doesn't work and there has to be something done. So over the years, I considered what can be done? What can I do? This recycle, this trying to find the best possible gold that we could buy and sell and tell those miners stories. I remember one uh, occasion, an opportunity, I I went to a little community called Laianada in uh, southwest Colombia, up about also around 7,000 feet elevation. And they're cooperative miners, and they had been mining there for Decades, not for centuries, but they love that land and they did not use mercury. They were very careful about their process. And for me, it was inspiring to use their gold and to tell their story that it was really great gold. So I traveled there and uh, met with this cooperative, the, the directors of this cooperative. And they said, Why are you here? And I said, I'm here because. I want to tell your story because mm-hmm. you are leading. You are the model for the world in in terms of gold mining, that the world can learn from you. And I, I really want to sell your gold and tell your story. And the leader of the, the director of the, the board, I guess, was he stood up and was quiet for a moment. And he said, you know, he said, I we never really expected that anyone would tell our story and we have done the we've been mining the way we have because we care about our community we care about nature we want to do it right and it's it's we're honored that you are here so mm-hmm. they said let's eat Empanadas and drink coffee, and they they brought them in. It was just one of those mes- most special moments of my life, you know, to be mm. in that place and to be able to have kind of this this commitment. Be start to maybe uh, I could feel the repercussions, the the, the benefits of it. And so uh, the next year, in fact, they were uh, Alliance for Responsible Mining Fairmind uh, certified. That following year. They, the Columbia, uh, the president of Columbia re- received the Nobel Peace Prize, and they made that peace prize out of that community's gold, to, oh. to my community's gold. And one of those miners went to Stockholm, I think, and, uh, and received that award. So all of a sudden, they were known worldwide. And it was just so exciting to know that the world is moving in that direction. But for me, still, mercury has been an issue that has been pretty challenging. How do we address this potent neurotoxin that millions of people rely on? And I was listening to one of Peter Diamandis' podcasts, and many people will know already, Peter Diamandis is the founder of the X Prize Foundation and visionary futurist uh, entrepreneur. But he's and very insightful. And he asked a question. He said, if you could impact a billion people's lives in the next five years, what would you do? And it, it stunned me. I had never let myself consider that depth of a question before. And almost immediately it came to me, well, we'll just solve this issue of Mercury. We'll We'll find a way because we have... Obviously, we have the technology to do virtually anything, and we have the funding. It's amazing funds that are flowing now, and and what we need really is just the will. So, I said, "I'm I'm doing that," I, and and I took that on and, and started Mercury Free Mining in 2017. Went public, went through the, the HeroX platform that also is a part of. Uh, I think the Prize Foundation's a, a kind of a branch of that and announced that we, Mercury Free Mining, was going to raise a million dollar prize to fund the most effective technology that could be discovered. And we launched into that. And so it was very, it, it was like, I don't know where to go from here. I've been a bench jeweler, but there's something that can happen just out of uh, one's commitment, one's vision, one's. And, and just sharing that possibility.
1: Toby, there was, you just mentioned that there's a lot of money flowing. And so, what were you talking about? Money flowing where?
0: Okay, look, so the things are getting built. Entrepreneurs are achieving amazing things. So, Peter, for example, he said he was raising $10 million to get the first manned flight into space in the single low Earth orbit twice in two weeks in the same. Uh, vessel, vehicle, spaceship, so uh, rocket. <laughs> so uh, he uh, it, he raised after ten years, he raised this ten million dollar prize, and uh, by uh, Ansari, uh, the Ansari family, and uh, it became the Ansari X Prize, and they accomplished that feat of getting three people into low Earth orbit in the same vehicle I- twice. Two, two weeks and and that then immediately was purchased by Richard Branson when when that ship landed he said okay I'm in for this I, I this is I, I wouldn't want to buy this technology because I can see a future here so it's that kind of thing that the the ability to well we all know uh, it's it's exploding in terms of what's happening with AI with material science with There's um, health, longevity, uh, genetics. It's, you know, to to map the human genome and to have it be now getting incredibly inexpensive. I don't know if they're at $100 yet, but it's, you know, just phenomenal that we can do that. So we have the ability technologically to accomplish virtually anything that we say. I know growing human parts now, printing them. Body parts that are actually. Oh, functioning. All right.
1: let, let don't get me started on half these things because most of the things that you're mentioning are are like above and beyond, including AI. Right, we're talking about um, getting a spaceship into lower orbit, or or AI. All most of these things are so after. Solving mercury in water and the the uh, right this proliferation of toxic mercury and it's like yeah let's get ten billion dollars over here but wait we haven't even solved the issues right here which if we can do that why can't we start here exactly. so that, yeah that's
0: that's my thinking as well so yeah. so I had a, a very successful jewelry company that uh, had been you know my own brand Toby Pomeroy brand but when I started to get into it. And and really all of the avenues, all of the people that I needed to speak with and ways to approach this, I said I can't make jewelry now. I I mean this is this is my life, this is what I'm doing. So I took that on really fully and uh sold my business and have been then devoted since we formed a nonprofit really at, at your inspiring me to actually form a nonprofit out of it in 2019 we got our 501c3 rating and have been uh, we put together an extraordinary board uh, primarily within the jewelry industry and began building this nonprofit with a focus on we can do this and We need to do, we need the fundamentally our access to raising the funds, raising awareness and taking on this issue would be, I saw it as being best through the jewelry industry. So we've got an an industry that is a lot of committed, concerned people and a, a fair amount of backing in terms of financial means. And, and certainly a direct affiliation with gold and mining and how all that is done. I mean, the jewelry industry buys more than half the world's gold. And 20% of all of the world's gold is mined by artisanal and small-scale gold miners who use mercury. And so the jewelry industry is 20% of our gold is has been mined by mercury and it's something that we have been i would say basically unaware of i mean and and maybe in some ways conveniently unaware but that it is when i started telling uh, the the industry about this issue virtually no one knew I, it, it was almost it was completely almost completely unknown that mercury was in our gold supply chain and it still is there's a there are I don't know what I would say. Maybe we are at 50% awareness in the industry, but still a, a lot don't know. So it has seemed to be kind of a, a natural fit that, that we can, as an industry, we can take this on and accomplish amazing things, both from the fact of alleviating mercury, but at the same time, supporting miners and benefiting our companies our industry by doing the right thing, by being known for a stand-up industry that's courageous, that says, hey, I know the world doesn't know this yet, but but we are taking on this issue of mercury, this kind of black eye in, in our supply chain. We know that, that blood diamonds has been a huge issue and be- became really dramatically well-dramatized. And so the world became aware of it and that we have per- probably a far bigger issue, in fact, by the global impact of mercury, that we could declare ourselves as an industry and say, we're taking this on. So I've been talking about that for the last, whatever it's been now, six years, Stephanie, and that we're getting some traction the the Gemological Institute of America has funded us uh, in uh, one of our scientists, our mining engineers, uh, to analyze five different processors that are clean, that are that are efficient, that have a potential for helping small scale miners to uh, mine without the use of mercury. So over the last two years started, I think this started in, we actually got the grants in 21, so uh, 2021. So we began processing these ores from two mines in the Andes, about uh, 15,000 feet to uh, determine what which of these processors could be the most effective. And the analysis of those brought us to one processor, which clearly was, in fact, the lab results show that it can capture more gold than the miners are able to when they use mercury. Very inexpensive, portable, lightweight, highly efficient in terms of no, virtually no carbon footprint. Wow. Low reasonably low cost at $3,500 right now. So, you know, we've made some amazing progress and we still don't have funding. We're a small organization, so we may not uh, fit for all of the, the grants that are out there, but I think there certainly are opportunities. There's a lot of interest in just really improving this whole matter of mercury and finding alternatives for the miners.
1: Wow. Yeah. For a small organization, you really have done and are doing a lot. And like you're at a solution, you're at a solution point. So tell us about, okay, so $3,500, that could be a lot for somebody in, you know, some rural village who's mining to eat and is not aware of the damage that they're causing to their water system and the air and themselves, right? So how do you suppose scaling this technology and making sure that everyone has access to it what is your vision for that
0: first of all it's it's i appreciate the question and we don't know that the gold drop is that's the the name of the processor is is going to be an answer for a lot of people we suspect it will we have to do our next stage in the field trials now to determine exactly, precisely, statistically, how much better that it is for the miners to use than than their traditional processing. And secondarily, but but no, probably primarily, will the miners use it? Because that has been a historical issue where there are solutions that miners can use that they want for one reason or another, they don't. And I would say in most cases, it's because it's not sufficiently, doesn't allow them sufficiently greater profits to use it. It would have to be something to break away from using mercury will, will have to be a significant breakthrough for them. Otherwise, they'll just keep doing what's familiar, even knowing that it's not safe that it's that it's, it's toxic and right.
1: And regu- there are no like e- regulations, like there's no one regulating a rural community, a rural river in the mountains in Colombia or Peru. Right. So there's no way to really police until yeah. after fact. I
0: mean, th- th- there are regulations and there are policies and laws, but it's, as you say, difficult to police. It is something that occasionally the police will come in and, and, bust up operations. There's a lot of illegal mining happening. It's basically mafia run and often conflated with artisanal small scale mining because they are small operations, but they're very distinct. On the one hand, you have miners who are wanting to feed their families and take care of the environment do the best they can. On the others, it's just rape, pillage, and burn. And these money at all, at whatever the cost may be, will come in and often internationally funded groups that will bring in heavy equipment and as much mercury as they can pour on it.
1: I have a question. If you had $500,000, $500,000, half a million dollars or a million dollars that was gifted to your organization. I vote for, for one thing, but I'd love to hear what you would do with it. I would vote also that there's also this consumer education, right? There's this huge opportunity. You, you've you been really um, amazing at educating the the industry, right? Industry leaders and the jewelry industry. And yet there's the whole consumer's, uh base that when When the whole blood diamond issue came out, it was the consumers who actually nudged the industry to take action, right? Because I'm not buying it unless unless it's certified, unless whatever. So there's that opportunity. Love to hear you speak to that. And also, if you had access to unlimited funds, what would you do next?
0: Well, (laughs) so, so if I had access to unlimited funds, I think the best thing that we could do right now is to start to make a real substantive difference on the ground. And to be able to tell those miners stories and the the communities in which they work, what the benefits are of being able to mine more effectively, cleanly what that's like for them in terms of their sense of pride their their health although that's a long-term thing that is difficult to track and there's not a lot of metrics behind that right now as a as a baseline that we could compare but i think in many ways like lionada where they're doing it right the world starts to know we can develop a mercury-free responsibly sourced gold supply chain that could become the focus. Like brands would start to carry it. And when
1: mm.
0: when the customers are saying that's the gold we want, then the industry will follow. That's that's one way to go about it. But I think in any case, we need to have on the ground results that we can demonstrate, the stories that we can tell. I see this as something that is an it's just a huge opportunity for the jewelry industry to really define its future, to say who we are.
1: If you had all the money and all the resources in the world, what would you do? What it, so your next steps would be to continue to transform the industry, transform the consumer desire, right? And right. demand. And then does any part of this also involve sort of funding the devices? Did I say that right? The processors? Yeah.
0: Yes, for Sure. So the the communities who could benefit, we just need really need to have engineers visit these communities. Mm. Uh, we just had Kalen Barand, he's our has been with us for a number of years now, University of Arizona, who took uh, the gold drop up to the two mines in Peru that we had originally gotten the the ore samples from, and they they bought one of the gold drops and they're using it and they're building it into their system. But as much as we can have that happen, where we've got people who are trained in mining, who can help them out in a lot of ways. One of the things he did while he was there was he's showing them how to use fluxes, how to take that, that raw gold that they uh, collect and melting it efficiently so they get the gold out of it. And mm-hmm. so it's stable, low cost, but that kind of thing, there are millions of people who are not educated in that way so along with taking mercury free processors into communities educating them on it helping them understand and adapt to it supporting them over time so they're really efficient at their recovery and not tempted to go back to using mercury because it's familiar it's easy it's it's cheap that is something that it's not just going to be a simple let's send them a bunch of processors and they'll they'll keep using them because yeah. that has proven to be the case. So we need to funding like that would be amazing to have a sufficient number of educators, trainers, engineers to be able to demonstrate these processors and help them in other ways that would have them be more efficient while eliminating mercury. A, a half million dollars, a million dollars, it would be a, a huge benefit and it would be a, a tremendous start. But it's, it's an, you know, you think about 20 million people all around the world from Philippines, Indonesia, China, India, not so much India, but in Africa, huge South America, Central America, it is a major issue. So, and that's really where most of the pollution is coming from. But I think having, are I'll come back to the industry, but it is—it's it, just an amazing story we can all tell. Having it be something that we are taking on an issue that is is solvable. We've demonstrated time and again that anything that we want to solve, we can.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful, Toby. And it's if everyone began to follow in your footsteps, and um, the n- non-negotiable that what we do to move forward is circular is it's one with nature and that is just such an intellectual exercise until it becomes a felt experience. And so thank you for the work that you're doing and for informing and educating us, our, our audience. And, you know, I'd love to hear if there was anything I missed that you want to share. Yeah. Is there anything, any other piece that you want to share before we spread this to the hearts of millions?
0: Uh, Yes. I think it's way bigger than just mercury Mm -hmm. and, uh we are off track we have gotten our priorities mixed up as long as we focus on being increasingly profitable and inquiring acquiring more and more stuff there is no sustainability that we need to i'd say the biggest thing that's that's missing is compassion and it's like treasuring treasuring people treasuring the planet, diversity, without that, it doesn't look like it's going to turn out well. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I think that's probably, if there were anything that that I could do, it would be to elevate a, a, a sense of reverence for all of it, for, mm-hmm. for for everything around us and stop and really appreciate what we have. We're squandering it. And I think it's, this is our opportunity. And so that's what inspires me about the the possibility of working with people who are passionate, who are committed, who are, are do have a sense of reverence about their own lives and others' lives. That is, it's a privilege. And um, I am delighted to be on this path with you and, your listeners, and so, so, so many people in the world that uh, we're, we're onto something. And I think it just does take speaking up and, and acting consistent with that, that sense of reverence.
1: I love that, that you shared that, Toby. It's interesting because, you know, just what's still sitting in my mind is what you were talking about, how the X Prize there was this mission to raise funds to create, you know, a spaceship. There's the, the funds to create things that are so kind of laughable. Um, not no disrespect, but some things that are just laughable in the 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 big picture of who we are and what we're really here to do. And I'm actually reading a great book, Donut Economics. I don't know if you've read that book. It's a really beautiful book. Yeah, about,
0: I it. Okay,
1: Kate Raworth, and it's really just it's just like flipping the whole economic system on its head saying this is just a story we made up it's it this is the past it's not the future story and if there's um you know a story that we tell about this beautiful stunning like element that comes out of the ground you know then what would that story look like and what if it's not a supply and demand story what is it and right, if that person didn't need to, you know, the, the, the demand for food, meet a supply of this thing that's right there. And here's this, this tool, mercury, to help me get it fast so that I could feed my family. Like if that wasn't the story, what would it be?
0: Yes. And I think it could be, Stephanie, something uh, akin to this noble metal, this beautiful, Resilient, if forever metal could represent, can represent if we approach it that way. Love, reverence,
1: mm-hmm.
0: commitment, compassion. It's and by approaching our obtaining and working with gold and in the sales of it, if you will, that that I think that story can be built in if we incorporate that approach, if we bring that approach to it, it's a story that's could be really transformative for not only our industry, but could kind of be leading the way in the world in terms of, hey, this, this element, they are mining, they are processing, they are caring for the environment in that whole process in a way that just embodies the sense of reverence and commitment and love and purpose, really.
1: Yeah. It's an ancient intelligence, right? And it's still alive in you. It's still alive in me. It's alive in everybody. It might be dormant and sleeping. So you're waking it up in folks. I'm holding this space so we could wake it up in folks. Uh, it's the same as similar thing like iron. I just was reading that someone in Africa, they used to build these totally sustainable ironworks. Like they would create steel. And this was like way before Europeans invented the iron smelter or whatever it is that makes steel. And, you know, so if we go back and look at ancient civilizations and how did they have gold, how did they process gold, right? There's so much intelligence for us and we're just getting a little irresponsible as, you know, kind of the younger siblings on the planet, though I... I just wanted to say in that honoring of this noble medal, you are like creating the literal gold standard. (laughs) Every other industry has a figurative gold standard. You are the literal gold standard, right?
0: Yes. yeah. Yeah. And more and more it's happening. You know, people are getting behind. Yes, we can do this responsibly. We just had a conference in New York, the initiatives in art and culture and World Gold Council was there. Artisanal Gold Council was there and refiners, um, Hoover and Strong and Betts Refinery. And everybody knows this is the future. So how do we build this future? It's, it's critical that we do. And so I do see a rising of voices and a harmony starting to happen that is really fulfilling to and wonderful to be a part of, to really mm. feel developing.
1: Amazing. So if there's anything you could ask for right now, one um, of the, I know that you're the visionary in this organization. So what, if, if you could have anything that you needed right now, what would it be?
0: I loved your your proposal of your question about uh, half a million dollars would be amazing, right? <laughs> and and I think the time is right to bring some programs on in the ground. We have this technology that we know works well. It probably won't work in all, uh, all areas with all gold or types. and uh, But it is something that we can point to that may be a significant breakthrough for millions of people. You know, I I was saying that this processor is, it weighs about 60 pounds, can be carried anywhere. It's recirculating water uh, supply. It runs on a solar panel and a small battery and it just, it will work all day long. And uh, with increased efficiencies, we just need to demonstrate that that efficiency is uh, the degree to which it is. We wanna document that scientifically and then start to get it out there we can we can scale this and the more awareness that there is the more we can bring these processors or other processors into communities where they can make that kind of difference but i think elevating the awareness is really important mm-hmm. so that that key part in knowledge will allow the funding to flow more, the support and the and the demand for it, both from the customer side and the industry side for traceability, for responsible sourcing, and particularly the, the freedom from mercury.
1: Beautiful. Well, it is my intention that this platform does provide some support in that process and that, you know, in the spreading of the word. So uh, we hope that you are listening and sharing this and making sure that we get toby's voice and this mission out because it is a tipping point and you are at the tipping point this could really really change a lot of lives and i'm really grateful for you and your work
0: thank you so much thank you for hosting thank you for helping me tell this story and for all you do
1: thank you toby Thanks for joining us on this episode of Catalyst Talks. Stay tuned for what's up next, and please subscribe to our podcast and rate us wherever you listen. You'll find these all at catalysttalks.com. Join the conversation on social media, and if you'd like to reach out, please send me, Stephanie, a private message through stephanietrager.com. Your attention means the world to me. Thank you, thank you, thank you.